Well, here we are again. Sunday morning, the first Sunday in August. I, I don't know about you, but it's traveling by so fast. Where did July go? Uh, I swear I, I, I picked up a, a member of our church this morning and I pick him up every Sunday morning. And, and first thing he always says to me every Sunday morning was, is, uh, well, how was your week? And I said, you know, I think I'm trapped in Groundhog Day. Because didn't we just do this yesterday? <laughs> didn't I just pick you up yesterday? That's how fast the week goes by. I, I just can't believe it. Maybe it's because I'm getting old. I don't know. Uh, sometimes it seems like America has gone absolutely crazy. If you watch the news and see all that's going on, um, time is flying by. And I, I believe that we are in the time where Jesus Christ, our Savior, is going to return for His church. I don't think it's far away. I think it's very, very close. And we need to pay attention to all that we're learning in our Bibles, and we need to come to church and come to our Bible studies and learn all that we can about the oracles of God, to know all that we can know about who Jesus Christ truly is. The Bible tells us that He was the Son of David, and that's who we've been looking at over the past uh, couple of months here is the life of David. And now we're into King David. He is now king and he's soon to be king over all of Israel. It's very interesting. It's a very interesting um, study. And, and I hope that you've been enjoying it as much as I've been enjoying uh, bringing it to you. God bless you. This is our study on King David. I hope you enjoy Come out and see us here at Tuolumne City Community Baptist Church sometime. God bless. There's a whole group of young people kind of sitting back there that I am so proud of. And before they get out of here today, each and every one of you need to go back there and say thank you. Thank you that they've, they've, they've been coming. And not just coming, they're participating and helping us out. And I thank you. It means a lot. We've been praying for you. We've been praying that you come. And, and, if, and if you, you want to see something really cool, come on a Sunday night. That's why, that's why we started this whole thing was for them. Because they work. Most of these guys, every one of you work at Silver Spur pretty much. Yeah, and, and they're, they're most Sundays, they, they don't get to come to church. So we've done this for Sunday night, and, and they're just having a blast, and I'm having a blast because they ask a lot of questions, and I get to go, I don't know. <laughs> Let me look that up. But it's, it's good, and I just wanted to start off by saying thank you. We are in our series of King David. We are now in 2 Samuel, and we're still in chapter 3. Last week, I was hoping to get through both chapters 2 and 3, but I think I over-expounded on many points. Sorry. Sometimes I just can't let it go, you know, and I just... But there's, but there's a reason. I'm committed not to hurry through this study. We need to get whatever we need to get out of this word. Can I get an Amen. We need it. And I'm committed to make sure that it's, I do my very best to make it interesting and relevant to our everyday lives. 
And I have to say, these guys have not made it easy. I think they're nuts, to be perfectly honest with you. I think they've lost their minds. I mean, think about it. Let's bring it into today's perspective. Let's take 12 Democrats and give them each a knife, and let's take 12 Republicans and give them a knife, and let's put them around a pool, and let's say, uh, entertain us. Fight to the death. Yeah, if you watch the debates, it's almost that. You know, give them a knife. Uh, you know, it's like, seriously? Are you, are you kidding me? And then 12 men, 24 men, 12 times 2, stabs one another, grabs a man by the hair, and stabs him in the ribs and kills all 24 dropped over dead at the same time. And then it broke into absolute chaos. I mean, both sides went to fighting each other. It turned into a war that was never expected to happen. I don't know what's the matter with these people, and it's hard to even, even try to figure out. But that is the essence of what had happened in chapter 2. It turned into a, a whole-out war, and the Bible says that David's tribe was winning. I'm not sure how it determined that at that point. All 24 guys were dead. But the Bible says David's tribe was winning, and at the end of chapter 2, it told us that like 380 of Saul's tribes had laid dead, and I think 18 or something of David's tribe had laid dead. All for what? We'll never know. We'll never know till we get to heaven and ask David, what was that all about? I can imagine, I can only imagine in my mind, because the Bible doesn't give us, that David wasn't happy about this situation. He wasn't there. They didn't bring David. They didn't bring uh, Ishbosheth. Either of the kings of the two tribes, they weren't there. This was the commanders in the armies that decided to do this. I, I got to think that David was not happy with this casualty and this loss and these actions. But every action, there's a reaction. Everything we do in life, we, we sin, there's a price to pay. It is what it is. So let's get, I'll, I'll recap a little more on 2 Samuel 3. We'll back up to where I, I, was, I went a little further, but we'll start here. Verse 1 says, The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. It lasted a long time. I think probably the seven and a half years that David was in Hebron, to be honest with you. But the timelines are hard to differentiate out. But it says, the Bible goes on to say, David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And this is so important. This is why I'm recapping on that. We need to see this and we need to remember this. The house of Saul represents our fleshly minds, our worldly thinking, our worldly way of living. The house of David represents the best of us, the relationship we have with God. It represents the house of Jesus because Jesus comes from the lineage of David. I find peace in the scripture. The battle is still going on in each of us. Maybe you can't see I'm in the middle of a battle, but I can tell you that I am. Oh, but you're the preacher. No, I'm a human being. I'm a man. And I'm in the middle of the battle just like you. 
And if you're honest about it, you would realize that you're in it too. We're all in this battle. But the Bible says David's house, which is the Spirit of God, grew stronger and stronger. If we, committed, if we commit to stay committed to this word and to our Christianity and to this faith, we will get stronger and stronger and our sin nature will get weaker and weaker. It's the truth. People get away from church and, and, they, and they eventually they find themselves in a place that go, how did I get here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? How, how did this ever happen? Exactly. Because we get weak when we move away from God. And then in verses 2 and 3, David's new wives and the children that were born to him in those seven and a half years, I'm not even going to try to list all their names again. I think I mutilated them bad enough last week. Okay? These, these Hebrew names are not friends of mine. The people are, but not the names. But it was, it's... it's questionable to try to understand what David's motivations were, why he needed so many wives. I mean, he understood the scripture in Deuteronomy 17.7. I do have this. This was, was basically in the word for a king. He says, neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver or gold. Why would God say that? Because he wants us depending on him. He wants us depending on him. He doesn't want you depending on your job and your paycheck. He wants you to depend on him. The best I can tell you, at least one of these wives was a pagan woman. The daughter of, here we go with these names again, Talmea, king of Geshur. And these were people who did not worship the one true God. Their, their religious worship appears to be centered around the worship of the moon. Her name was Micaiah, and the wife bore Absalom and his sister Tamar. These two children will break David's heart with grief and troubles that David never expected. But 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do, Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship have righteousness with iniquity? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Young people, check out the people that you're dating, the people that you're considering to marry. Go meet their parents. See what they believe. Find out where they come from and, and where they're going don't marry a woman or don't marry a man that is not a believer in Jesus Christ. Well, you know, if I love them, they'll come along to my side. They'll, they'll come with me to church eventually. Good luck with that. The Bible tells us, do not be unequally yoked. And there's always a price to pay when we go against God's word. Here's an interesting thing. God knows how we feel. He knows how we think. He knows the things we need. He loves us so much that he will allow you to choose the things that you want. But he also loved us so much that he gave us warnings. Warnings like you would give your children. Don't play in the street. Don't play in that street. Why, Daddy? That's the most fun place to play. That's where all the room is. No, cars go fast up and down that street. Eventually, you're going to run out of luck, and you're going to get hit. 
Don't play in the street. And that's exactly what God is trying to give us with his word, saying, do not be unequally yoked. Don't play in the street, man. Yeah, it looks good now. Everything's going fine now. Everything's moving along fine. But I'm telling you, eventually, your sin will find you out and it will catch up to you. And I know we talked about this last week and I probably expounded on it way too long and I'm going to do it again because I think it's that important. I feel we need to talk about it again. We look at David's life. Honestly, I, I, I'll be honest, I'll set the preacher side aside and sometimes I'm shocked to see what David would do. Some of the decisions that he made. It shocks me. But see, we have to be careful. His dysfunctional life, we tend to compare our lives to. You know, we know that David was a liar. He was a killer, a cheater, especially when it comes to his many wives. We know that God said he was a man after his own heart. You can find that in Acts 13. I know what you're thinking. Like, oh man, I'd like to study. I'm nowhere near as bad as David. I mean, I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I don't do this stuff. I'm not going around killing people. And I'm telling you, if you're comparing yourself to David's dysfunction, you're all wrong. You've missed it. You missed the point to the whole series. We can't do that. We can't compare ourselves to David's dysfunctional way we just can't do it sin is sin and we must see it and we must acknowledge it and we must repent from it we need to compare ourselves from what god loved about david and that was his virtues david was a prophet a singer a songwriter he was a lover of God, a dancer before God, a communicator with God, a man of prayer, a man of passion. David was passionate. We're going to see some of his passion this morning. He was a passionate man about how he felt about people, about his kingdom, about God. David was so passionate about it. And he was a fearless warrior. He was a giant killer. Have you killed any giants lately? Maybe drug addiction, alcohol, your sexuality, all the things that we fight in this life, those are giants. And we need to be giant killers. We need to be a fearless warrior. David was the best of men. But we have to understand he was just a man. And we must not compare our lives to David's dysfunction, but we must compare our lives to David's godly virtues. You've got to be a man of prayer. You've got to be a woman of prayer. So I won't elaborate on that too long. I want to save myself some time. Let's move on to verse 6. Now, during the war between the house of Saul and the house of David... Abner had, had been strengthening his own position. Okay, I've got to explain a little bit because some of you are just coming into this. You know, you, you haven't had 10 weeks of David. Abner is a general in Saul's army. Now, we know that Saul has just died. Him and his sons 
died on Gilboa. And Abner was the general of that army. He's the first man. He's the one who right now is running the country because he took Saul's youngest son, Ishbosheth, which we, we're going to realize that he wasn't much of a man, it certainly wasn't a leader. And we got Abner behind him, playing all the rules, saying all the things to say and do what this, do that. Abner was running the country, and he was strengthening his position. And that's why it says what it says right after that. It says he was strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine named Raspeth, daughter of Aiah. And Ishbosheth said to Abner... Why do you sleep with my father's concubine? You have no idea how mad that made Abner. Oh, he got fired up. So what was going on? Well, there's a power struggle going on here. In, in normal things, a situation, a new king would either take the concubines and the wives of the, the past king all unto himself or he would get rid of them. And so I believe it could have been a political move on Abner's side by taking Saul's number one concubine unto himself. It could have been a political move showing his strength, that he truly is the one running the government. Or it could be that he fell in love with her, that she was a beautiful woman. I mean, the way he got upset about it, I tend to think that maybe he was just in love with her. And he didn't figure that Ishbosheth, this kid of 40 years old, had any right or reason to say to him, why do you take one of my father's concubines? Because technically, if he's the king, those concubines are his. Does that make sense to you? So now we're kind of understanding where this argument, but see, God uses everything. This is so interesting. Look at verse 8. Abner was so very angry because what Ishbosheth said. So he answered, he said, Am I a dog's head on Judah's side? This very day I am loyal to the house of your father Saul and his family and friends. I mean, he said, I haven't handed you over to David, have I? Now yet you accuse me of an offense involving this woman. May God deal with Abner. He's talking in the third person here. Be it so severely. If I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on an oath. So it's obvious here that Abner knows that David is to be the king of all of Israel. And he's holding off, obviously, for political reasons. I don't know exactly why he was holding off and keeping this all to himself the way he was. But he goes on to say in verse 10, he says, And transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and establish David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. And Ishbosheth did not say another word to Abner because he was afraid. This is the kind of man that Ishbosheth was. He was a man that probably lived in fear. I mean, he wasn't in battle with his brothers when his brothers got killed. There's got to be a reason why he wasn't there. He was a 40-year-old man. Should have been fighting in the army with the others, but he was not. It's amazing to see how God uses everything. This complaint by Ishbosheth is what set Abner into a fit of anger 
And it was exactly what God had ordered because God has the ability to move in our circumstances. Can I get an amen? amen? God has the ability, even if the thing looks like it's making you mad, Michael. It's making you mad, the things they're saying. I mean, it's mad, it's wrong. But God could be using that very thing, that very thing, to turn it all around, to turn this, this whole thing. God's plan. Can you see God's hand in this? It's just absolutely amazing to me of what's happening here. So let's look at verse 12. It says, Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to say to David, Whose land is it? Make an agreement with me, and I will, I will help you bring all of Israel over to you. Wow, he was serious about this. I mean, this feud has been going on for some time now. And all of a sudden, now Abner is ready to just turn it all over to kingdom uh, to David. That just amazes me. I think Abner probably had some political moves in there too. I think he's thinking that, you know what, if I, if I help David get the entire kingdom, that he'll make me the commander of his army. I know there's Joash that's over there, and I've got to deal with him, but I'm not going to worry about him right now. I think if I help David with this, I'll become the number one guy. I'll become the guy right behind the throne. I think Abner had some, some lofty ideas of what was going to happen here. So in verse 13, David said, Good, I will make an agreement with you, but I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Michael, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. Do you guys remember this one? Do you remember this wife? This, was, this is back when David was, what, 15? And Saul gave to David, Michael, his youngest daughter, because she was in love with David. She, she had saw David had fancies for him, and she, she loved him, is what the Bible tells us. And so, uh, originally, Saul was going to give David his older daughter, but it didn't work, but she was already spoken to by another man. But the younger daughter, Michael, she loved David. So Saul thought, well, this is one way that I can get David killed off a little faster. You can have my daughter if you go give me a hundred foreskins, Philistine foreskins. You guys remember that? And what did David do? He brought him 200. See, he was figuring, I'm going to get David in, in the middle of the battle with the Philistines, and I'm going to get David killed by a Philistine warrior. I'm, I'm going to get David, you know, to to do this, and, and it'll kill him off. Well, then what happened with that? It didn't work. He went out and got 200 foreskins, and, and Saul had to give Micah over to David. So he sent a couple of men, a couple of his big bad warriors over to kill David. Micah heard about it. She snuck David out of a window. You guys remember that? And David snuck out and took off running. Now he's gone. Saul didn't get to kill him again. So Saul was so angry that he took Micah away from David, took Micah away from him and gave him to another guy. Gave her to another guy. It was, it was, it was unbelievable, actually. Maybe this is partly what we have, why we see David with such a problem with so many wives. I don't know if that had anything to do with his thinking. 
I don't know what was going on with what David was thinking. But it was an unbelievable situation. So he gave Micah, David's bride, to Pali, son of Laash, all because Saul was angry. What began as a celebrity marriage now involves a whole series of dramatic events and ultimately maybe causes David to choose all these different wives. So here he is now. It had been probably 15 years has gone by. Micah, Michael has been with this other guy all this time in a loving marriage. And so here's David saying, he's, got, he's already got like seven or eight wives. I don't know. And he says, hey, hey, you want me? You want to make this peace? You bring Michael over to me or don't even come and see me. Now, maybe this was another political move on David's part. He wanted to see exactly how much strength Abner had, how much control he actually had of the Israelites. Because Ishbosheth is the king. He could say, no, you're not taking my sister. No. She's already married. She's, she's been with this guy for years and years. You just leave her alone. No, you're not. He, Abner probably would have killed him, be my guess. But he, he could have. So David was trying to see the strength that Abner actually had, the pull, the clout that he had. So let's look at verse 15. So Ishbosheth gave orders and had her taken away from her husband, Paltiel, son of Laish, her husband. However, he went with her, weeping behind her, all the way to Braham. I don't know, that one struck me kind of weird. If they was going to come take my wife away to give him to the king, yeah, I'd say not, not over my dead body. I would be fighting for her. I would fight to the death. You bring some soldiers and you bring some weapons because, man, we're going to go at it. You're not taking my wife. What does this guy do? He walks behind her crying. <laughs> taking my wife. <laughs> oh, yeah, big baby. And that's what Abner does. He comes up and says, hey, go home. You big crying sack of Hebrew. Go home. And he did. He just turned around and he went home. It's kind of sad. To see, you know, maybe he realized he had no choice and maybe he wasn't willing to die for his wife. I, I don't know. But he said to his, Abner said to him, go back home. And he went. So now in verse 17, Abner conferred with the elders of Israel and said, for some time you wanted to make David your king. You know the elders of Israel had been talking about it. It was well known at this point that, the, that Samuel had prophesied and had anointed David to be king over Israel. But there were all these political things that were going on, and it just wasn't happening. So he says here in verse 18, he says, Now do it, for the Lord promised David, By my servant David I will rescue my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines, from the hand of their enemies. So Abner now is really the advocate for David. Verse 19, Abner also spoke to the Benjamites in person, and he went to Hebron to tell David everything that Israel and the whole tribe of Benjamin wanted to do. When Abner, who had 20 men with him, came to David at Hebron, 
David prepared a feast for him and his men. It was a welcoming party. He said, yeah, I can see what's going on here. I can see what's happening. This is the hand of God. Then Abner, verse 21, said to David, let me go once and assemble all of Israel for my Lord, the king, so that they may make you a covenant with you and that you may rule over all that your heart desires. David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. Verse 22. Just as David's men and Joab, you remember Joab? Joab now is David's commander. Joab is David's nephew. Do you guys remember that? David's nephew had three brothers. Joab is one of them. I mean, three nephews. Joab returned from the raid and brought with him a great deal of plunder. But Abner, no longer with David in Hebron, because David had sent him away and had gone in peace. When Joab and all his shoulders with him arrived, he was told that Abner, son of Ner, had come to the king, and the king had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. Verse 24, so Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why did you let him go? Now he was gone. You know Abner, son of Ner. He came to deceive you, to observe your, your movements, and to find out everything that you were doing. You understand? Can you kind of see what's going on? We got, we got a political struggle going on here. Jobash here is the commander of David's army. He wants to remain commander. He wants to remain the number one man. If Abner comes over, Abner is probably older and stronger and is going to take him out. Abner killed his brothers. Do you guys remember that? Just, just last week. Abner had killed his brother. Even though Abner didn't want to kill his brother, he did because his brother wouldn't stop chasing him. And finally, Abner stopped and hit him with the butt of his sword and it went right through his body. And he killed him. Joab then left David and he sent messengers after Abner and they brought him back from the cistern at Sarah. But David did not know it. Now when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside to an inner chamber as if to speak to him privately. Hey, Abner, come on over here. We, we got to talk about this, this, uh, this reunion that you're planning here because, you know, I'm the commander, you're a commander. We, we got to work this out. It, it made sense. So Abner, without even thinking, went in private with him and there to avenge the blood of his brother Ashiel, Joab stabbed him in the stomach, and he died. Later, when David heard about this, he said, I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord concerning the blood of Abner, son of Ner. May his blood fall on the head of Joab and his whole family. May Joab's family never be without someone who has 
a running sore or leprosy or who leans on a crutch or who falls by the sword or who lacks food. This was a pretty bad curse David was putting on Joab. None of his family should ever have anything. He was upset. And yet we're going to see in chapters further on that Joab does become David's number one man, continues to be. It's an amazing story. Verse 30, Joab and his brother Ashiel murdered Abner because he had killed his brother Ashiel in the battle at Gibron. Now David said to Joab and all the people with him, tear your clothes and put satchcloth, put on satchcloth and walk in mourning in front of Abner. King David himself walked behind the bearer. Verse 32 said, then the bearer Abner in Hebron, then they buried, I'm sorry, Abner in Hebron and the king wept aloud at Abner's tomb and all the people wept also. David was a passionate man and he knew that Abner was a good man. I believe that he knew that Abner didn't mean to kill Ashahil, but he did. It says, the king sang this laminate for Abner. Should Abner have died as the lawless die? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. You fell as one falls before the wicked, and the people wept all over him again. Verse 35, then they all came and they urged David to eat something while it was still day. But David took an oath saying, may God deal with me. But if I ever so severely, but it ever so severely, if I taste bread or anything else before the sun sets. David was committed and he was a passionate mourner. All the people took note and were pleased. Indeed, everything the king did pleased them. They could see the kind of man that David truly was. A man that was passionate, even in death, he was passionate about Abner. David was a very passionate man. So on that day, all the people there, all Israel knew that the king had no part in the murder of Abner, son of Ner. Verse 38 says, Then the king said to his men, Do you not realize that a commander and a great man has fallen in Israel today? And today, though I am anointed king, I am weak. And those sons of Zephrathir are too strong for me. I, I mutilated that name. That was David's sister that had these three boys he said they're too strong for me may the lord repay the evildoer according to his evil deeds well again i was hoping to get through chapter four but we're not going to we're already out of time but this david this story just continues on and it continues on with with the battle of good and evil it just is continuing, just like it's going on inside of us. Like you're fighting with the thoughts that you're thinking and the decisions you're having to make and things that are going on. It, and David went through the same thing. He went through the same thing. He was just a man. He was a good man. 
but you have to remember he was just a man. And we have to be careful not to compare ourselves because I know I'm a whole lot better than David. I never killed anybody. You know, I never did things. All that I did, possibly my words have. Certainly my actions in my life probably have. But I can't compare myself to David's faults. I have to care, compare myself to David's virtues and try to become more like a man that David was, a man with passion, a man of prayer. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, I ask you to bless this time that we've had. Father, I ask you to protect your people. As they go about their business today, as they go about their lives this week, Father, I ask you to protect them and to remind them of this word. When situations begin to come in their lives, that they realize that you are there. And it matters, the decisions that we make. It matters about what we do. Father, I ask you to bless and protect this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.